sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Christ is risen. Amen. Uh, this morning is, is unique for me in, in several ways, you guys. Um, last year, I didn't, plan, I didn't plan on sharing this, but uh, last year I, I hit somewhat of an internal wall that was very, very unexpected. And uh, I recall waking up, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and I did not want to come to service. And I couldn't put my finger on it. Everybody, anybody ever been there before? I think I even made mention of that, either that Sunday or the next Sunday. I even talked about the fact when, what do you do when you're not feeling, you know, excited and full of life and joy and energy and strength when you hit those mental, emotional, spiritual walls. Maybe you feel like your reserves are empty. I, I hit that place and I couldn't even put my finger on what it was. There wasn't any big fallout event that had happened in my life. Uh, in fact, last year for the Thanksgiving break, I was with people every single day, nonstop. And if I'm going to be really, really honest, my time with the Lord was pretty non-existent last year during this break. And so consequently, when I woke up for Sunday morning, ready to give, I just, I felt so dry. I felt so empty. So today's a good morning because I don't feel that way. (laughs) But it reminds me, I think what's peculiar is that speaks to a little bit of the first Sunday in Advent. And uh, how many of you, when you hear the word Advent, this is a, it's a new concept. I just want to know who I'm talking to. When you hear Advent, you're like, I don't know what that word means. I haven't had that in my, in my Christian tradition. It's not been a part of my family history. Anybody I'm speaking to that the word Advent, thank you, is a little foreign. It's a little unfamiliar. You know, for me, up until five years ago, the word Advent and the concept of Advent was extremely unfamiliar. The closest thing that I had to the idea of Advent was when my parents and I lived in Europe. We lived in Germany for two years and Holland for two years. And they had these cardboard chocolate Advent calendars. And I didn't know they were Advent calendars. All I knew is that there was chocolate hiding behind these little perforated windows. And of course, I ate all the chocolate before the 25th, right? Because I had no concept of Advent. All I knew is that there's chocolate hiding behind those doors. And I like chocolate and I'm going to eat the chocolate hiding behind those doors, right? That was my only experience with Advent up until about five years ago. As a church now, we are in our fifth year collectively, corporately as a people entering into another layer, another level, another year, another iteration of understanding what Advent is more deeply. So I'm going to share a little with you, kind of setting the table for the next four weeks that we are going to be participating with. And here's the beautiful thing, you guys, that for a big chunk of the Christian church, not only in America, but around the world, we are all going to be synchronized in this season 
of looking for the arrival of Jesus, both his first arrival and his second arrival. Culturally, what we've done in this time is we have really put all of our attention on the idea of Christmas. And if we're going to take our cues from culture, most of the signals of the the culture around us point us towards consumption. Isn't that right? And isn't it amazing if you guys aren't paying attention, I just want to just call your attention to the fact that Christmas in the culture is coming sooner and sooner and sooner, isn't it? Right? So typically it was like, you know, Thanksgiving's on Thursday, Black Friday's on Friday. Now we've got Cyber Monday and Christmas things start going up. No, I mean like, you know, now it's on in October, right after Halloween, we've got Christmas. I mean, before we know it, we're going to start looking for Christmas stuff like the day after the 4th of July, right? Because because to the culture, there's nothing really meaningful or substantive around this besides what we can get. Consumption, materialism, let's just just spend more money, make more money, spend more money, get more stuff. But in the Christian calendar... The season of Advent, which is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, it's a season where God enters into this space to reorient our lives. That's what the Christian calendar really is all about. It's, it's orienting our lives to the things that are on the heart of God that really matter. And there's something about... The, the people of God being formed as a people who learn how to patiently wait for the arrival of God's kingdom, for the spreading of God's kingdom, for the work of God's spirit that is so important to our Christian faith, to our Christian identity, to who we are as a people of God, both now and throughout all of eternity. I, I'm going to share with you a couple of things that Pastor Jonathan actually shared last year from his message I'm going to take this straight from the horse's notes because from time to time we share notes with each other and Jonathan, why don't you just come in here and just pre I'm just kidding. (laughs) Last year, Jonathan had five points where he said, why should we participate in Advent? What, what is meaningful about this? Why should we give our time to this? Why should we turn our attention to this season of Advent. You know, the word Advent really is a very simple word. It just means arrival. It means arrival. And if we can think back into the history of the Jewish people, guys, for hundreds and thousands of years, they had been told by prophetic people, they had been told there is a Messiah that's coming. There is there is a God figure, the son of God will come, the son of man will come on the clouds and he is going to make everything right. So deep in the Jewish identity, deep in the people of God, deep in their storytelling, deep in their imagination, there was this sense of expectation and there was this sense of longing. God is going to break in and he's going to make things right. Because for those of you who are not familiar with the story of the people of God, for hundreds of years, they kind of went through these cycles 
of great prominence, great success, and then because of their own sin and falling away from God, they would fall into captivity. There was a season where they were, they were pushed into exile, which means that they weren't even living in their own country anymore. All the things that were familiar to them, the temple, their rhythms, their customs, their culture, their manner of life was all stripped from them. They were prisoners in another people's land. We see this when they were in Egypt. We see this again when they're in Babylon. So deep in the history of this people is this sense of God, where are you? Where are you? We, we remember the times of old. We remember when uh, you, were, you were revealing yourself in power. You were revealing yourself in victory. We remember when we were the king on the hill. We remember when our nation experienced prosperity and success and greatness. And we felt that you were so real and so present to us. But where are you now? And where is the Messiah that you keep telling us is coming to deliver us, to make us a people again, to call us unto yourselves? So when Jesus entered onto the scene, there was this, this sense of, ah, finally, what we have been praying for has arrived. What we have been expecting, what our grandparents told us, what they passed on to us at the family table, what we heard about around campfires for decades, you guys, it has finally happened at the birth of Jesus. Well, Jesus has come. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been resurrected. And so now we have had these stories passed on to us from generation to generation for over 2,000 years. We have been hearing stories that have been passed down from the Christian faith. He's coming again. The one who has come the first time, he's coming again. And when he comes this time, he's not coming as a baby born to a virgin. He's not coming in humility and brokenness and meekness. He is coming as the king of glory. He is coming as the fully resurrected one to bring together the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, to eradicate injustice entirely, to overthrow the enemies of God and for the fullness of God's kingdom to reign in the earth. It's gonna be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan preached a message about hope in the promises of God. And this is what Advent is. Advent is where we renew our hope in the promises of God. It's a season where we say, oh yes, in the middle of all of this brokenness, in the middle of violence and upheaval, in the middle of where it seems like God is not present at all. I remember that he said that he is at work and that he is coming again to make things right. And so there is a holy expectation that we can learn to foster. In fact, it's a discipline. It is a discipline of the faith where we, in God, we rightly say, God, I am going to strengthen my faith in what you've said you are going to do. And we learn the discipline of waiting and watching and looking and hoping and expecting for him to come. And in that process, you guys, something begins to transform our Christianity. Something begins to transform the way that we see the world around us, the way that we interact with our own humanity, with our own lostness, with our own process of growing, with our own in maturity and expecting everything to happen right now, something begins to mature us in this. 
Very quickly, Pastor Jonathan last year said, number one, we participate in Advent to prepare our hearts to live between Christ's two comings. So in this season, in these four weeks, and, and I want to make very, very, I want to make sure we understand this, that just like all of the Christian calendar, Advent is not just something to be lived in a four-week period of time, right? We, we say this a lot during resurrection season, particularly on Resurrection Sunday. We say that the resurrection of Jesus is not just something for us to recognize or celebrate one time a year. That we are a resurrection people. That we are to live in resurrection wonder and power every day of our lives. It's the same with Advent. That in the same way that we live in that resurrection power, we also live in that Advent expectation. That we live in that Advent tension we live in this constant tension of God. Your kingdom has begun, but it has not fully arrived. And so we celebrate what you have done while we look forward to the fullness of what you are bringing in our lives. And guys, that touches every arena of our lives personally and the society at large. I have had this sense in myself. And when, you know, when, when Aaron says, how many of you guys are excited for Advent? Honestly, that question elicits some mixed emotions. Like, I have been excited. I've been excited because, and we mentioned this last week in jest, but I feel like we have been living in Advent all year long. We have been living in darkness and disruption. We've been living in a sense of cultural chaos. We've been living in a sense of, oh God, where are you, right? And so now in this season, we're able to really give language to this. And it's one of the things I appreciate about the scripture. It talks not just about the life that is to come, but it talks about life now. It talks about the brokenness and the frustration and the anguish and the sorrow of the state of where life is at now. And it helps us as Christ followers to have language for, for the turmoil that we feel in the interior of our lives. How many of you guys have experienced turmoil this year in one way or the other? The tur right? Come on, turmoil, utter and complete turmoil. What, what, what is right? What, what, is, what is wrong? What do I do with the wrongness of what's happening around me? I feel powerless. I feel absolutely and utterly out of control. And that's one of the things that Advent does. It, it confronts our need to want to be in control. When you are told to wait and to watch for something, it is an absolute reminder that you have no control. You have no control. When my kids come to me and they say, hey, can I have, can I have whatever it is, can I have another cookie? No, you cannot have another cookie today, but wait till tomorrow. You mean I am not in control of the decisions of my own life? You mean that I can't just eat more pie when I want to eat more pie? No, that there, there is someone saying to you, you have to wait. You are not in control of this moment. And that's what Advent tells us. You're not in control in the brokenness of this life. But there is something that is pushing us towards the one who is in control. Advent teaches us to learn to actively wait on God. Advent teaches us to look for God's revealed 
or to look for God being revealed in everyday life. So Advent actually has three components to it. That there is this looking back in celebration of God's first arrival, right? There is this looking forward to God's second coming. But then there is this third component of Advent where we say, God, I'm looking for your arrival every day. I'm, I'm looking for the one who stands at the door and knocks every day. I'm, I'm looking for your presence every day. Somewhere between incarnation and second coming, there is the kingdom that is growing. There is the abiding work and presence of the Holy Spirit. Guys, every day is an Advent day. Every day is a day that God breaks into. Every day is a, is a day where God rends the heavens and, and he comes down and he inhabits his people and he ministers to the stranger and the foreigner and he welcomes the, the alien into his home and he feeds the hungry and the broken through the people of God, through the church. Every day is a day where we come and we can commune with him at the table in body and in the blood of Jesus. He arrives afresh and anew. Okay, let us turn to the scriptures here for a few minutes. Let's go in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64. We're going to read four passages of scripture this morning. I'll give just a little bit of commentary on each, but I want you to think about the things that I've just shared. God's first arrival in Jesus, God's second arrival in the second coming, God's daily arrival. I want you to think about life being in darkness and God piercing darkness with his advent light. I want you to think about the state of disruption currently that we're experiencing culturally and saying, God, where are you? And when you hear these scriptures today, I want you to kind of look for these clues in the middle of that. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, I love that verse. How many have heard that verse before? You've ever heard it, you've read it, you've sung that verse. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What does that speak to? What, what, what does that evoke inside of you when you hear this verse? God, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. God, you're too far away right now. There's too much brokenness and there's too much injustice. And God, whatever veil is between you and us right now in our society, whatever veil is between you and me in this sickness, whatever veil is between you and I in the broken state of our marriage or where our children are at, God, we are crying out to you in utter desperation. Would you rend this veil? Would you make the distance between us closer? Would you make the space between heaven and earth more thin? God, rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you. Every obstacle, every challenge, every insurmountable thing that's in our lives that absolutely feels impossible. God, we pray that they would tremble at your presence. This is Advent language. God, we need you to break into our lives. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies. 
burn away all impurity, burn away all corruption, burn away all of the things that are not right in the world. Cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those, look at this, who wait for him. He acts on behalf of those who wait for him. This language is actually language that I'm more familiar with in the New Testament where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who loved him. But you have the mind of Christ. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And what he is saying here is that in this state and season and society of utter brokenness, God is at work and he works on behalf of those who wait for him. And he is at work doing utterly beyond what we can possibly imagine. We cannot put our finger on how God is at work, how, how amazing, how redemptively beautiful. We can't, we can't even begin to put our finger on how God is going to take broken pieces and put them back together and reveal his goodness and glory. It's beyond our ability to comprehend, but we can lean in with an active sense of waiting. God, we are waiting for you to do this. Yes, I agree. Thank you for that word of agreement, sweetie. Verse five, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Let's look at Mark chapter 13 for the sake of time. I'm actually going to bypass the other two passages. If you want to read these on your own, I encourage you to read Psalm 80, Psalm 80 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses three through nine. But today let's look at Mark chapter 13. A peculiar passage. And as we are learning in our Advent journey, that in the first couple of weeks of Advent, the focus is not on the first arrival of Jesus. The, the focus actually is on the second arrival of Jesus. So historically throughout the church calendar, when we have liturgical passages around the first and second Sunday of Advent, they're typically more apocalyptic or judgment-oriented passages around the second coming of Christ. They're really designed to kind of jolt us. They, they, they jolt us into a new season. In fact, Advent is the first day of the new year in the Christian calendar. Today is the first day of the new year. And it kind of, it, it's, it's a call to wake us up out of ordinary time. It's a call to say, there is a new season that has begun. Pay attention, wake up, watch, 
There are things that are happening. God is at work. He is on the move. Mark chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 24. And the precursor to this verse in 24, verses 1 through 23, we find that the disciples are pointing to the temple. And the temple of Jerusalem at that time was one of the most glorious works of architecture that was on the planet at that time. Begun by King Solomon, restored by King Herod, there, there were people that would say culturally at that time, if you have not laid your eyes on the temple in Jerusalem, you have not seen, you have not seen wonders of the world. I mean, it, it could be seen for miles around and it was a feat of human ingenuity and, and brilliance. And so the disciples are pointing to this temple and the temple was the, the center of Jewish life, religious, economic, cultural life all centered around the temple and the disciples said Jesus take a look at how amazing this temple is and Jesus says guys this temple is going to be destroyed and he begins using this apocalyptic language because if you can if you can only imagine that when the center of their lives revolved around the temple and it revolved around the idea and the reality that God abided in the temple it, 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 was, it was a testimony to their enemies and to the world around them. Our God is near. Our God is close. So when that is wiped out, to them, it was, it was equal to the world coming to an end, right? And we see this when Jesus begins to use some apocalyptic language, pulling from apocalyptic literature. So then jumping over here to verse 24, Jesus says, in those days following that distress, the distress of what are we going to do? Our lives are falling apart. What are we going to do? Everything that we've built our life around, everything that we've built our religious identity around has come to an end. What are we going to do in this sense of disorientation? Does, does this fa feel familiar at all? What are we going to do when church services don't look the same way that we've expected them to look? What are we going to do when we can't gather the way that we've always gathered as families. Well, what are we going to do if we don't have four more years of President Trump? What are we going to do if we have four more years of President? I mean, guys, listen, this is all, this is all very, very relevant. This is the sense that the people were feeling. Our lives are coming to an end. We are absolutely without a compass. We don't know how to navigate our way through this space. This is what Jesus is speaking to right here. Following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Essentially, he's saying that when all the systems of the earth come to an end, that everything that Jesus has said, look at it right here at verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great power and glory. And we look at that and we go, this is, this is end times language. Yeah, but really what he's saying is that when the systems of this earth come to an end, that he will be revealed for who he is. The son of God, the one who reigns as Lord over all. So let's, let's just kind of push pause on the left behind, you know, and let's just, let's just orient our hearts towards when the world falls apart, that Jesus as the Lord of all, will be validated in what he has always said. Friends, when your world falls apart, that is when it's time to look to the kingdom of God. 
and I will be validated as the one who has always told you the Son of Man is coming on clouds of glory to reveal who God is in this moment, in this hour. He ends this passage here. I just want to look at verse 32. He ends this passage by saying, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So look at this language, be on guard, be alert, for you do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, at midnight, when the cock crows, at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. And so what I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. This is the word for us as we enter into the Advent season. Keep watch, friends. Keep watch. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep figuratively. Don't fall asleep spiritually. We, we, we are living in an hour where the Advent prophetic word for us today is keep watch. Watch for the fingerprints of God. Watch for the activity of, the God, of God. Watch how he begins to comfort the brokenhearted. Watch how he wa- works through your life in the streets of our city. Watch for the opportunities that are coming for Advent opportunities, the arrival of God into your workspace, the arrival of God when you have neighbor at your table. Watch, watch, be on guard, look look, look alert, because every day God is entering into the spaces of our life to reveal his kingdom reality and his kingdom presence. Jonathan, if you would come. Friends, if you'd stand with me this morning. As we come to this table, we come as a prophetic gesture. We come as a prophetic gesture. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is very simply this. When we come to the table today, we are making a prophetic proclamation that God is at work. We come to this table saying the God who created, the God who laid his life down, the God who rose again from the dead is the God who is at work every day of our lives and he is the same God who will come again. Friends, I invite you to come and receive the body and the blood of Jesus as we declare and we proclaim that God is at work among us. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.